Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by publisher Chris Cartman, as well as staff reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. Guys, on this Tuesday morning, as we're recording this podcast, ASU getting set to take on number 18 Michigan State. How you guys feeling? Rob, there was a, a nice breeze out there at practice this morning. It's still probably 85 degrees and humid, but we take what we can get. I see a trend that's starting to emerge that maybe will carry us into a nice fall. Same thing, Rob. Any day under triple digits is really nice, and September and October, we're starting to get into that good Arizona winter weather. <laughs> winter. Yeah. yeah. The winter weather. <laughs> yeah. Speaking into existence for us there, Trevor. Yeah. It's too hot here. But, no, it's good. Every, everything is happy. We're good. We're hot. Less hot. But it's, uh, it is week three, and we're happy to be there. Well, I like Arizona your, State's I like offense. your hat, Rudner. My Hawaii hat? Yeah, That's nice. good podcast material for yeah, the people some, listening. Some to good see my bad hat. radio material. But as Rudner said, he's happy that, that he's not too hot at practices. ASU's offense was not hot in ASU's 19-7 win over Sacramento State. Just three points in the first half. Just 78 total yards of offense for ASU against an FCS opponent in the first half. Just one touchdown overall in the game for ASU's offense. That was a 72-yard uh, 72 uh, catch-and-run touchdown for, for Eno Benjamin from Jane Daniels. Daniels actually finished with 304 passing yards on the night, a touchdown, no interceptions. What did you guys make of the overall performance from the offense? Well, at halftime, I put our crack reporters on notice that we needed to do some research. So I had them split up the last, this century's worth of games against FCS opponents to determine how ASU was playing relative to all the other previous ones they played, which are primarily going to be the the Big Sky opponents. I told them it, it's you know it's going to be Portland State, Idaho State, Northern Arizona primarily, and they went through and they looked at how whatever ASU had what seventy eight yards or something in the first half, whatever it was. Yeah, it was seventy eight. Yeah, yes. and and so how guys, how did that compare to the research that we did? That was the worst offensive performance of the century. ASU has never performed worse than that against an, a, an FCS school. The worst performance since 2016 when ASU played NAU. And coincidentally, the, the common denominator between the NAU game in 2016 and the game against Sacramento State was the same defensive coordinator. Andy Thompson was NAU's defensive coordinator in 2016 when ASU scored only 10 points in the first half. And he was the defensive coordinator with Sacramento State when ASU was limited to just three in the first half of the game. And you might think that was just a few years ago, 2016, but that was the next worst performance by ASU in the first half of a game against an FCS opponent since at least 2000. We never went back and looked earlier than that, did we? No, not earlier, just dating back to 2000. Yeah, we might want to consider at some point like seeing, you know, comparing that because it was really uh, quite abysmal. Um, almost like kind of shocking to see. Like we, we obviously did a lot of you know uh, research on Sacramento State having a new coaching staff, having given up 266 yards uh, on the ground uh, last season, and you're just out there and you're watching ASU like be unable to get off the football and 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 push back their defensive front in that in that bare defense that they're running in the 46 style defense and. Uh, I was guys, I was just surprised. I don't know about you, but that that's a bad sign. And to me, it was the second week in a row 
in which their veteran players um, who are tasked with blocking and protecting just didn't do a very good job. Cole Cabral, Alex Asoya on the left side, Stephen Miller on the right side. And then Tommy Hudson hasn't played well, I don't think, to start the season as a blocker and protector. And um, it, they, they just got to be a lot better than that, you know. And um, they're, they're putting too much of a burden on the freshman players, not just Jane Daniels as a quarterback, but also Donovan West as a true freshman center and, and even Jared Bell. And then, of course, Jared Bell got hurt, uh, was knocked out of the game, replaced by Roy Hemsley. Bell's back practicing and should be fine for this week. But uh, it we knew before the season, we all did we all say that offensive line was their number one? All but, all but one. Who didn't? I was the one and I said tight ends. Okay, uh, but tight ends, worse and, tight ends haven't played well either. Yeah. So okay, so they're kind of neck and neck for the the problem areas, and and they've had more issues than we had even anticipated because mm-hmm. of the K Cody injury and all that. But uh, what did you guys think just watching it? I mean, it, it, it's all the same things that you just said. It was it was a really rough offensive performance, and it was one of those things where they just could not move the football. And and one of the words I'll circle back to what you were talking about about having the the freshman offensive lineman and struggling on the offensive line. It's discouraging, in my opinion, when you hear the word protect certain players on an offensive line, and that's been a word that's been floated around a lot recently in interviews. We need to protect were words that were said. We need to protect Jarrett Bell. We need to protect Donovan West. But those are your starters. So you can't protect guys that are supposed to be doing the protecting. And to me, that was one thing that when when I heard that, it, it, it was – interesting and it was one of those things where it's like how are you going to protect those guys against Michigan State who has a significantly better front seven than Sacramento State did and 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 all credit to Sacramento State they played well and and we had talked about the new coaching staff like you said but to say that you need to protect certain people against them that's not good so I I would agree with everything you said and, and I would add that too and that was the common theme, right, Jacob, going into this game. It was could ASU establish a rhythm within the run game before they went up against, obviously right now, the number one rush defense in the country against Michigan State. And Sacramento State, they ranked, I think, third to last last season in rush defense. And ASU wasn't even able to crack 100 yards against them. I think Eno Benjamin had a 33-yard burst, but then everything else was sort of limited throughout the game. So it was just another concerning sign to see ASU not be able to open it before this big game. And you need you – need, uh to have that balance and that dimensionality to what you're doing offensively, as Herm Edwards described it, we didn't sustain any drives. Well, you're not going to sustain drives if you can't run the ball against really bad opponents. But beyond that, they had, I think Jaden Daniels had four drops. There was drops by, uh, you know, multiple receivers and Nolan Matthews had a drop. So they, they didn't move the chains when they had opportunities. And then they had drives that stalled out and resulted in field goals. Of course, uh, we know Christian Zendejas, you know, was the Pac-12 player of the week on special teams because he made four field goals. He's the only kicker who's made seven field goals. He's done a great job. And none of those were actually really long field goals. I believe the longest was 36 yards. Yeah. So so they got to places on the field where against an inferior opponent, they should have been able to punch the ball in. But then also what happens is when you get into tighter quarters, you don't have that big play capability because they did hit on some big shots and they had the one that was called back. Uh, because of Brandon Ayuk's penalty. But when you get to tighter quarters, you need to be able to figure out other ways to, to, to move the football on early downs because you're not going to have the big plays. And those things just, they weren't really there with any sort of consistency. They did kind of open it up and do better in the third quarter, and it was it was okay. 
But man, that first half they still was, didn't punch the ball in though, like you're saying. Even in that third quarter, no. where you're saying the drives were getting better, they still weren't getting the end result that they wanted. No. Is it worth mentioning the AJ Carter play? Well, you because, just mentioned it, right? But like, how much better does the game look if that's called the right way? If the penalty where Frank Darby scores the touchdown, if that's not improperly blocked by Brandon right. Ayuk, you have two more touchdowns. Does the game look as abysmal as it did? Well, that's 14 points on top of 19, and I'm not like a math wizard, but that's like 33 points against a team that you should be scoring 40. That was correct addition. Something points on, right? I mean, it, they. What they yeah, needed I to do that they needed to do that, plus they needed to turn two of their field goals into touchdowns, right? right. Yes. And now you got an eight more points, and now you got in the forty-one points, range. and you're saying, oh, that's right. not great, but it's 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 okay. It's not nineteen. It's okay, right? right? The, the fact and, that this defense of Sacramento State struggled so much last year yeah. as, they, as the team won two games makes this look but, like an abomination on the offense. Well, that's uh, I true. get what Jacob's saying. How how there's some some touchdowns that were taken off the board, but they played really smart, ones. sound defense, and they they're well coached. So I don't. I think they're actually going to be pretty good. In the they big are sky. very well coached. That was one thing I wanted. But man, to talk it's about it's it, it is it's the big sky, you know. But now Jaden Daniels went over 300 yards passing. As I said, four of his ten incompletions were, were were drops, and they're not making it easy on him. He's like still having to scramble and do too much. So there's some things. Obviously, you know Benjamin's a pretty good player. It's just a matter of and he their passing game to the running back. Yeah, worked I mean, well. that's the only he, way that Benjamin's big... been able to be successful so far this season, really. I mean, he had, as sure. Trevor mentioned, a 33-yard run. That was his, his first big chunk play of the season. But that's other awesome. than that, it's been the two the two touchdowns have been two touchdowns in the air. That's true, and coaches didn't uh, – I'm sure they didn't anticipate not being able to run the football in this game, but they also did say before the season that they thought, you know, Benjamin could have 50 catches because they knew that that was – they knew how opponents were going to play them, and they knew the types of plays that were going to be available more as a result of that, and they have been. But uh, there's a lot. What We're going to get into what I think ASU should be doing a lot more offensively in the premium podcast on Thursday. And I'm really looking forward to that because I'm going to also have a written component that goes with it because there, there were certain things that I saw, some, some signs that I saw from that game mm-hmm. on Friday that they can actually really try to flesh out and squeeze more out of that I think they're going to do. And I, I just want to save that for the premium, but I really think that that's going to be an informative podcast for people. And moving from offense to defense, obviously DJ Davidson, the sophomore defensive lineman, nose tackle, awarded Mandrake this week, uh, player of the game for Arizona State. He had just a really nice game getting inside and, and punishing Sacramento State and the Hornets at the point of attack. But also the secondary looked... Just as good, in my opinion, in this game as it did against Kent State. A lot of batted balls down. Um, not as many sacks as I would think uh, ASU would be happy with against an FCS opponent. What did you guys think of the defense's overall performance? I think they've been impressive so far, and the ability to done that is because of the rotations that they've been able to establish, especially at the cornerback position. It's been able to keep guys fresher when you have Jack Jones and Tamarcus Davis coming in, able to give Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas you know, some reps off and be able to split that and have the confidence that the guys behind are just going to be just as capable as the guys in front. And kind of the same thing has been the theme within um, some other groups in the defense is they trust everyone that's coming in and playing in their group, and they keep the same expectations for them. And Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas, those guys, along with Jack Jones coming out of nowhere, really, just a couple weeks with the program, it just looks like a really solidified group pretty early on. 
Yeah, we've been saying for weeks now that they're shaping up to have an embarrassment of riches and they're secondary. I don't know that I can remember a time that they had more speed and depth. And some of those guys are young, obviously, and they had anticipated getting Kiwan Markham and Willie Hart's more reps in that game, but then the closeness of it probably kept that from really happening. Um, but they're going to try to continue to develop those guys. Maybe they'll be able to redshirt them. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, you will see. Certainly at the cornerback position, uh, Danny Gonzalez talked this week about Chase Lucas turning the corner as a tackler. And we know that when he's pushed by somebody like a Jack Jones, that's going to sort of steal his resolve and force him to just kind of dial in. And we haven't seen a lot of the extracurricular type stuff that he's done in the past. Um, at the same time, I would say, Rob, that uh, Shari Crosswell had breakdowns in the first game and the second game. Um, the first one was a touchdown that he was in man coverage and they were trying to check out of it. Second game, he was flying up for a bubble uh, that they ended up slipping a receiver mm-hmm. by him and having a big gain. Right. And they, and then um, Sacramento state actually scored a touchdown a few plays later on that drive. Uh, and that's not good enough for Danny Gonzalez and what they're trying to be defensively. He said, this week that they should have had two shutouts in those first two games. And we know that when ASU's offense is struggling and you're going to go on the road to Michigan state this week and other games after that in the PAC 12, that are going to be really difficult. uh, Those big play breakdowns that you have on defense can be the difference in a game. Right. Uh, And so they're going to not have a lot of margin for error. They're going to have to play really extremely uh, effective football on the defensive side and even then it might not be enough but they just can't allow any of these kind of big assignment errors especially when it's against worse opponents because better teams are going to also have better athletes better schemes they're going to have more experience playing ASU all those things are kind of advantages and, and one other thing is that this ASU defense is counted on a lot more obviously there's the high expectations with Danny Gonzalez but they have to really carry this team. The offense is not reliable enough, and I'm pretty sure that that was emphatically emphatically proved against Sacramento State, that the offense is not strong enough to carry this football team. And so in a lot of ways, ASU is relying on the defense to mm-hmm. do the bulk of the heavy lifting, and they're going to have to... They're going to have to carry this team in a way where Jaden Daniels can fall back a little bit or the offensive line, which has had its difficulties through the first two weeks, has an opportunity to kind of take a step back, which would give the defense a lot more responsibility. They have to hold games down and and going into Michigan State, not only is that going to be the case, but the offense is going to have to deal with one of, if not the best defense in the nation. And so the Arizona State defense really is going to have to step up because the offense could very well be shut down. And we haven't even seen a game where Merlin Robertson or Darian Butler really have like they had last year where they have, you know, 10-plus tackles and are just all over the ball. I mean, in this game, Darian Butler had had, had a pretty good game. Uh, one sack, uh, a, a TFL, um, a, a TFL and a half, four tackles. And then, yeah, Robertson had six tackles. Um, the guys have been solid, but I'm almost expecting one of these games – upcoming to be a breakout game for one of those two guys where where they show us what they were saying they were capable of over the offseason after really impressive first years yeah well Antonio Pierce said this week that this is a big boy game when you go and play on the road against Michigan State and they do know that they're going to have to 
play really well against the run. I mean, they're not going to look at it or acknowledge that Michigan State has the best run defense in the country, and they're looking at it in terms of trying to match that, but that's the reality of it. Like, they, if ASU isn't doing uh, good enough to keep up with what is happening on the other side of the field, that puts them behind the, the eight ball, and they, they, they just don't want that to happen. Right. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Merlin Robertson now that he's on the inside against a big-time opponent like this, probably the best running back that they've gone up against. Um, and I think better than what they had in LJ Scott last year um, when he was the back, a bigger body kid that wasn't as dynamic. Uh, and and I think it needs to be reiterated that they need better play from some of their key guys up front, I think, in this game. Jermaine Lole and George Lee haven't played nearly to their potential mm-hmm. through the first two games of the season. And even though ASU is deep along the line and, they, and it has options, uh, they want to get their their star players playing more in the backfield, you know, resetting the line of scrimmage, being more physical at the point of attack to really set the tone for what everybody else is doing behind it. And, and I spoke with ASU's defensive line coach, Jamar Kane, and he was talking about how he has not yet seen, both in practice and in games, the potential that he thinks is is capable out of the defensive line, specifically from Jermaine Lole and TJ Pesafea. It was one of those things where, and, and also from hearing from Jermaine Lole, he knows that he has not delivered yet. He was pretty pretty open to say, you know, I have not delivered. I didn't deliver in the games. I haven't yet delivered in practices. And it does, it makes you wonder when he starts to get into that peak, what Jamar Kane is looking for, what right. he's looking for, what does this defense really start to look like? Because then your your front line of guys becomes very impressive. Going into this year, uh, we had low leg graded out higher than any of the other defensive linemen and Davidson I think was behind him sometimes what happens is things kind of come easy for players initially and Lole just kind of stepped into this role last year and then he started to make a bunch of plays against really good opponents the Utah game really stands out to me and maybe you just kind of take for granted that you just have that ability and you don't have to continue to do the everyday work stuff that you had to initially when you're trying to learn the scheme and all that stuff. So he's such a good player though. And he's so skilled technically um, that there's just really no excuse for him not stepping up and being like a big time player in games like this. And, and and Jamar Kane used the word laziness. It wasn't a lack of talent. He said, it's just lazy. He says that, that there is so much talent in that group that it's not a matter of who can do what skill-wise. It's just right. when you're going to use the skill. Yeah. And moving to special teams, really one of the more solid units on this team for the first two games of the season. Michael Turk again ha- had another nice game. I know Jacob was just going nuts overseeing Michael Turk have a, have yet another solid game. Christians and Dayos, you really can't say enough about what he's been able to do, how accurate he's been. I mean, if you think about it, his four field goals are the difference in the game uh, against Sacramento State, and you figure – you know, another kicker might be able to make some of those, but four field goals in a game, Pac-12, special teams player of the week. The special teams has been very impressive so far. Yeah, I don't think – I think that's just like the stats geek in Rudner that's like seeing some guy basically dominate everybody else. And Rudner's like a baseball guy, so he's seeing like a, this crazy 
drop off from what Turk's done to what everybody else is doing. And it's just kind of, I mean, it's just marginally like he is so much better than the competition. And, and that's like a national thing. It's not just packed all, but it's cool. the opposite of marginally. Yeah. Marginally means a little narrowly. I misspoke because I'm excited. Markedly. It is a lot. He has been a lot better <laughs> yes. than than everybody else. And I think what's most impressive and, and putting the whole, you know, it's really fun to watch and the numbers are cool aside for a second. It's so huge for this team because you're forcing good offenses against a good defense like we just talked about to have to drive the length of the field. You, you, there's a lot of work for offenses to do when Michael Turk is playing the way he's playing. And that, I think, has been the most impressive thing to watch. Yeah, I've been saying on our message board in Devil's Sanctuary that I, I think that their special teams it probably are worth a, a win on the schedule this year because you have to imagine that this ASU team with the defense playing the way that it, it, it is is going to be in three, four, maybe five close games. And in those games, if you're consistently having better starting field position than your opponent and you're converting on your field goals better than your opponent and maybe even with a Brandon Ayuk or something you have like a better return than your opponents those things are the, the difference that that that's there's points in there so uh and I asked Danny Gonzalez about that this week about how that shapes his game planning and play calling when you know that your opponent's going to be pinned quite often inside the 20 if not inside the 10 the first two punts by Turk were at the eight yard line down right so uh, I think that's a major major weapon that they didn't have last season and this is a a defense that's going to be hard to really get full field drives on because they're probably not going to give up a lot of big chunk plays either in the pass game or in the run game and uh, so that's going to be interesting to see as well I, I asked one of the things I asked Antonio Pierce is does this remind you of maybe more of like an NFL type of a team? And that's one of the other things I'm looking forward to kind of writing about some analysis on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Herm Edwards, obviously, his, his his background is like you're playing defense and field position and close games. Right. And the, you, so he, they're comfortable with this. Like they have in Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, Antonio Pierce, guys that are totally fine with this type of a, a mold. For, for what their team is going to be. I don't think Rob Likens and the offensive guys are comfortable with it, and they're going to try to expedite as much as they can their development, but they said it's going to be you know not a quick fix. So the onus is definitely going to be on the defense and on special teams to to really play at a high level in these in these next several games. And it's going to be very interesting to see what ASU does against number 18 Michigan State. ASU last season defeated number 19 Michigan State right here at Sun Devil Stadium. Um, it, it's just going to be an interesting test for an ASU offense that really hasn't showed up in the way that it was expected to early on in the season and see how the defense does against um, the number one rush defense in the nation heading into week three. Yeah, and Jaden Daniels going on the road for the first time. Right. There's a lot of uh, subplots associated with that. The Big Ten atmospheres are great. I remember going to Wisconsin, uh, maybe you know, whatever it was, eight, nine years ago, and that was like one of the best environments that I can remember watching. So... They're 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 in for something, and, and Pierce said that as well. He said, other than the Super Bowl, like playing in the Big Ten, like in Penn State or whatever, was like the best environment I ever played. So they're gonna have to, uh, you know, they're gonna have to rise to the occasion. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. We'll have Mason and Chris at the game covering, and before that, though, we're gonna have an analysis podcast on the Spartans, what they do, what ASU is gonna have to do in that game to be successful. 
uh, our pick the pack and also predictions for the ASU Michigan State game. But right now for site publisher Chris Cartman and reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.